Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. I was literally like, who's next? And it was like, oh, it's me, I'm next already. I should say, um, for folks who are online with us tonight, that a number of people on site in the barn are dressed in Halloween costumes. I, for one, am dressed as a white 50-something suburban Karen. I have the statement jewelry and the whole thing. Kind of kidding. So we're beginning a a new worship series tonight. It's a short little series, just four Sundays we'll spend in this one. It's called Four Questions and a Funeral. Um, We are headed toward the close of the liturgical year. That is to say, on the church's calendar of worship and high holy days, we have been for a long time now in the extended season following Pentecost. Pentecost happened back in the spring, and then in the season following Pentecost, sometimes called ordinary time, um, we go through Jesus's teachings in whichever gospel is sort of dominating our readings for the liturgical year. This year, we have been in the gospel of Luke, and so you might notice that any time we've been reading from a gospel, it's been from Luke's gospel. So as we head toward the end of the liturgical year, we are very near the end of Jesus's teachings uh, in Luke's gospel. And we're actually just picking up where we left off last week with the parables that extended into chapters 19 and 20. We're picking up tonight in Luke chapter 20. So here is the setting, just so you've got a little context for what is about to happen. Jesus has made his way from the countryside of Galilee, which is like his home territory, all the way to Jerusalem, which is the seat of power for his religion and one of the many gubernatorial outposts for the rule of the Roman Empire. This is a dangerous place for him to be, and it is the more so because he insists on being very conspicuous. He goes every day in Jerusalem into the temple and begins to teach loudly. He draws crowds of people who are very eager to hear his proclamation of God's reign, of God getting everything God wants, which is a dangerous thing to announce when there is another sovereign sitting on the throne of world dominion in Rome. So in this series, Four Questions in a Funeral, we're gonna look at four of Jesus's encounters with his religious kin and the questions they have for him. In each case, I think what you'll notice is the question is oddly specific. It is entirely contextually appropriate for that time and place, but maybe not so much for our time and place. So in each case, it is our goal to let the specific question of Luke's text prompt our reflection on our contemporary situation and see what Jesus has to say to us here and now. So I'm reading tonight from Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 20. 
So the VRPs, the very religious persons, watched him and sent spies who pretended to be honest in order to trap him by what he said so as to hand him over to the jurisdiction and authority of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you are right in what you say and teach, and you show deference to no one, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius, whose head and whose title does it bear? And they said, the emperor's. He said to them, then give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to trap him by what he said, and being amazed by his answer, they became silent. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the year 2000, the United States elected George W. Bush to the presidency, more or less. But regardless of whether it was the electorate or the Supreme Court that got him there, Bush was inaugurated in January 2001. And eight months later, on 9-11, the World Trade Center was obliterated and the Pentagon attacked. Three and a half weeks after that, the United States initiated bombing campaigns against Afghanistan. In 2002, President Bush turned his attention to Iraq, a nation that had no connection with 9-11, but which, which Bush named as part of the axis of evil, presenting a great threat to this country. With the president asserting a right to preemptive war, the United States invaded Iraq in early 2003. In 2010, the Center for Public Integrity reported that the Bush administration had asserted over 900 false pretenses in a two-year period between 2001 and 2003 about Iraq's alleged threat against the United States as the rationale to invade Iraq. Well over 100,000 Iraqi civilians, civilians died violent deaths during the invasion and the resulting civil war that followed. It was a hard season to be a U.S. American. Following the invasion of Iraq in 2003, Three hugely important things happened right here at home. One, President Bush was reelected to four more years, this time in a decisive electoral victory. Two, I almost got fired. Three, Green Day released American Idiot, the soundtrack that would carry me through Bush's second four years. I almost got fired because, because I hid the American flag, 
that normally stood proudly in my new church's sanctuary. I had recently transferred my standing, my ordination, from the Church of Christ, where any symbol of anything, including patriotism, in the worship space was anathema to the disciples of Christ where the stars and stripes regularly appear in sanctuaries alongside and in the place of priority over the Christian flag, which is really not a thing, but was invented so that churches in the U.S. could legitimate having a U.S. flag in their sanctuaries. It was the Advent Christmas season and all the decorations in the sanctuary necessitated moving the American flag out temporarily and so it got locked up in my office, the safest place in the building, they said. But I found I couldn't really do my work, say my prayers, read my Bible, with that hanging over me. So I moved it to a back corner of my office behind a tall file cabinet, and I put a tall leafy potted plant on top of the file cabinet in the flag just kind of disappeared. And when Christmas tide ended and we were putting the sanctuary back together, the flag, well, it just didn't make it back. No one could find it. They might have asked me where it was. I might have shrugged. Uh -huh. When they eventually figured out where it was and that I had known all along, my church full of veterans and veterans' wives and veterans' boomer children were... Uh, not happy with me. There may have been shouting. There may have been threats, much more legitimate threats than the fake ones we made up to invade Iraq. It was not my most mature pastoral or theological leadership. I am not proud of how I handled that, but I hope you can appreciate in that confession the violent clash I was experiencing in my mind and spirit. That is, I could not imagine how we were supposed to gather on Sundays to pledge our allegiance to the God of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, who had no homeland, no national identity, but through whom all nations were meant to be blessed. To the God of Jesus, a pacifist who was executed as an enemy of the state to the God of our Christian faith, which calls for us to be in this world, but not of it. I just couldn't square it. So I sang my full head off. Don't wanna be an American idiot. Don't want a nation under the new media. And can you hear the sound of hysteria? The subliminal mind fuck America. Welcome to a new kind of tension all across the alien nation. Everything isn't meant to be okay. See, I'm telling you all this to say why when I read Luke's story about the spies sent by the VRPs, the very religious persons, to test Jesus, to trick him into trouble, I know that we are supposed to boo and hiss for their hypocritical motives. But y'all, I can't be mad about it. Because I think it's a terrific question they're asking, and I want to know the answer he gave them. More than that, I want to know the answer he would give us now. Back then, they're hoping to trip him up in a way that'll get him in trouble, one of two ways. Either with the government, 
for committing the unforgivable treason of saying you should withhold taxes from the empire, seeing that that's the only reason the empire cares about you at all, or with the people, their religious kin, for capitulating to the empire's unreasonable demands when all they want you to do is lead a little insurrection and kick the bums out. No matter how Jesus answers the question about taxation, somebody's gonna be mad, or so they think. Because that's how we think, yeah? In binaries, all the damn time. Straight or gay, boy or girl, anti-imperial zealot insurrectionist, or kissing Caesar's ass. Which is it, Jesus? Which side are you on? Or, to ask my question, how am I meant to be a good and loyal citizen of both the United States of America and the reign of God. When I place my hand on my heart in a posture of devotion, what flag am I pledging allegiance to? Whose sovereignty, which reality? The consumer, capitalist, military, industrial, techno-oligarchic, trending toward white nationalist empire of my birth? Or the just, merciful, beautiful beyond imagining empire of God. Y'all know that I've been reading a lot, thinking a lot, talking a lot about the growing presence of Christian nationalism in the politics of our country lately. We can talk more about that sometime if you like, but one of the thought threads that I've been traveling has to do with how we distinguish nationalism from patriotism. I'm not sure how much of a patriot I am, to be honest, but I also have to be honest and say that I'd rather have been born here than somewhere else. And that I'm grateful for the privilege afforded me as a citizen of this country, and I realize that I'm saying that as a cisgender, straight, white, wealthy, Christian person in this country. I don't know if it counts as patriotism to just acknowledge that I've been lucky but there it is. But if I were patriotic, the way I'm learning to distinguish that from nationalism is that patriotism is born out of gratitude. It says that there's an ideal here worth celebrating, even when we're not living up to that ideal. I think at their best, my parents' and grandparents' patriotism was like that, born out of love, for what this country could be at its best. And what's born out of love and gratitude yields a gracious attitude of sharing, of extending welcome. The patriot loves what they have so much that they want other people to have it too. The patriot welcomes new neighbors without being afraid that more people will dilute the ideal. Indeed, more people believing in the ideal and working toward the ideal can strengthen the possibility of our achieving the ideal. Nationalism, by contrast, is born out of fear. It says that what we've got here is a limited resource, scarce, even, and it must be protected from strangers who just want to take it away and trash it. Nationalism 
threatens with a story of what this country could be at its worst if we good guys don't protect it from the bad guys. It's born out of fear and it breeds more fear because fear is fuel for nationalism. It is not gracious, it is protectionistic, closed-fisted, tribal, resentful. And it keeps violence at its right hand, ever looking for a perceived provocation to use it. Here's why I'm bringing it up tonight, this distinction between patriotism and nationalism. Because I think that Christian nationalists in this country are perpetuating a disastrous theological mistake that Jesus tried to correct 2,000 years ago. And because I think you and I could be susceptible to the exact same mistake. No kidding. The mistake made by Jesus' religious kin around paying taxes to Caesar was this. They imagined that if they followed Caesar's rules, filled out Caesar's forms, met Caesar's deadlines, wrote Caesar a check, somehow the emperor and his empire would steal away their religious faith along with their money. Like they'd be less Jewish, less faithful, untrue to their faith commitment to belong to God alone. Those coins they used to pay their taxes, those denarii, after all, literally had printed on them, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine August Augustus. Caesar, son of God, in other words. The empire claimed divine purpose, divine favor, divine providence for its existence and its success. It was a challenge to the confession of God's faithful people that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that the Lord is one besides whom there is no other. If Jesus' contemporaries gave in to empire by paying their taxes, weren't they giving themselves too? Identifying themselves with the empire in a way that God would not abide. The Christian nationalists who stormed the Capitol two Januaries ago and the ones who watched on TV and cheered them on seem to believe much the same thing. That if the government of the United States of America does not reflect their values, which they define as Christian values, then somehow their faith, their belief system, the under God part of the Pledge of Allegiance will be stolen from them, or worse, they will have given it away. So if they believe that the only marriage the Bible sanctions is between a man and a woman, but the government says different than that, they insist that the government must change. If they believe that a history curriculum condemning the U.S. American slave trade and pointing to the abiding racist injustices that history still fuels is an attack on the Christian principles and religious freedom this country's founders espoused, they insist the curriculum must change. If they believe that God creates every human on one side or the other of a strict gender binary and one level or the other of a strict gender hierarchy, I would add, but school districts choose to honor gender diversity and best practices for human development, they insist that the schools must change. 
Like they're afraid if this country that holds their citizenship does not uphold their every value, it'll steal their religion, falsify their faith, make them less Christian. Jesus has an answer for that. No, it won't. Indeed, he never showed a shred of interest in getting the government to align with his highest ideals. He assumed they would not. But go ahead, he said, pay your taxes. Even with this heretical, ridiculous currency. Because God knows you're doing a hard thing here. Straddling two kingdoms. One foot in Rome's empire, the other foot in God's reign. But don't worry, God knows who you are. God knows to whom you belong. This coin may be Caesar's property, but you are not. If Caesar doesn't understand that, well, that's Caesar's problem, not yours. Here's the thing, church. I thought back then that George Bush's presidency and the invasion of Iraq based on lies told in my name, all that violence funded with my money, was the worst thing that could happen. <laughs> now I know different. I know how much worse it can be, how much closer the violence can come, how not just strangers, but people I love can come under threat of a government that does not uphold my values as a follower of Jesus. I know how mean little local governments can be and how dangerous a wealthy state government can be, and how powerless a federal government can be to protect us from our own nearby neighbors. The temptation for me is to despair that the country that holds my citizenship does not uphold what I hold dearest in this world. To despair that it is not possible to be both a citizen of this nation and also a citizen of the reign of God. It feels like if this city council or that school board or this library board or that state legislature or this federal court or that Supreme Court keep biting huge bloody chunks out of the ideal I have loved, if they keep capitulating to the worst impulses of our most fearful, resentful neighbors, if rights are rescinded and we regress as a nation to the homophobic, transphobic, racist, sexist, classist ordering society, well then, what do I have left? I will have paid my taxes to fund it all. Will I belong then entirely to Caesar? Jesus says, no, you won't. And in my imagination, he answers with gentle sympathy. Because he knows that I'm not asking because I want to trick him. I'm not asking because I'm trying to get him in trouble. I'm asking because this is a miserable season in U.S. American political life, and I dread what it might feel like to live here amidst all the suffering that is potentially just over the horizon, feeling complicit, feeling powerless, both at the same time. But Jesus says, just stop it. Just stop it.
Where did you ever get the idea that the government, whether Roman or US American, was supposed to get all this right? Where did you ever get the idea that they hold your identity in their hands? God knows who you are. God knows who you are. God made you and knows you and loves you. You belong entirely to God and nothing Caesar can do. No cruelty the empire can impose changes that. That is my prayer for each of us this election season, church. We and a bunch of people we love are facing some serious setbacks in our quest for wholeness and flourishing. The Caesars of our own empire are showing how little they care for us beyond our productiveness in the imperial economy. But I'm praying that you remember whose you are and trust that God knows who you are. Nothing that can happen in these American politics can change that. You just look in the mirror, you see whose image is stamped on you. Jesus said so. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.